Good morning, community. My name is Noah Verbacek, and I am reading the scripture passage for this morning. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, so please follow along on the screens or in your Bible as I read aloud. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have not prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. Well, good morning. It's my privilege to open up God's word with us uh, this morning. Before I do, I just want to say a few announcements uh, by way of connections. As our connections pastor, that's something that I'm really keyed in on. Um, I would just say for a moment, despite the fact that things have been really hard lately, our church is alive and well, and we are entering into the fall uh, going hard uh, with each other after the Lord, and uh, if you want to get connected with our church and you feel like you're not or, or you want to get more connected, there are so many ways to do that. Um, there are women's Bible studies starting up. There's men's events that are coming down the pike. Um, our community groups are getting kicked off. In the next few weeks, um, there's even a young adults group that's gathering now uh, socially here and there, maybe every month or so. And so keep an eye out for, for those coming events. We're really excited about um, as we enter into this next school year, really coming together as a church. And as we do that, uh, we really wanted to carve out this Sunday to look at what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a community that's shaped by Jesus Christ? And so that's why we come to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to sit with uh, this passage together uh, for a moment. Let me pray first before we do that. Lord, what a gift to be able to sing those blessed words when all around our souls gives away. You then are all our hope and stay. You are a solid rock for us on mountaintops, on valleys, and you've given us your bedrock truth, the word about your love. You've invited us into your family. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak your word to us and apply it to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can tell, we're going to talk about love this morning. And uh, before we jump into this beautiful declaration of what love is, we need to take a moment and think about and reckon with what our culture says 
love is. And what we naturally gravitate towards when it comes to a definition of love. So in 1961, Elvis Presley released one of his greatest hits, Can't Help Falling in Love. Maybe you've heard that song before. I listened to it a few times this week. It's great. Uh, It made me feel good. Uh, Made me think of my beautiful wife that I'm very much in love with. Um, But it also declares so much of what our culture believes is at the very core of love. Specifically, that love is romantic. Primarily, love is a feeling. It's an experience of pleasure and satisfaction at its core. And by romantic, I don't just mean romantic relationships, but really we see it that way in all of our relationships. With our husbands and wives, but also with our friends, our families. Love is what feels good. Love is when I feel good about you and you feel good about me. And as the king of rock and roll sings, it's something that we fall into. What a way to say it. We fall into love. Meaning we can't control it. It's something that happens to us. It's like when you're riding a bike and you hit that blessed downhill. You can stop pedaling. It feels good. The wind is on your face. And then... Just as easily as you fall into that glorious rest, your tire gets stuck in that rut in between the grass and the sidewalk. I always hated that growing up. And you can't get out. you got to stop your bike and pull your bike out and keep going. So just as we fall into love when love is a feeling, we can so easily fall out of it. And in that way, love is fickle. It's, it's fleeting And that's because relationships and reality, it's not rosy. It doesn't feel good. So often when life gets hard, when our loved ones make us feel bad, or when it hurts, when I just get tired of the people around me, I fall out of love. It waxes and wanes. And that form of love actually doesn't satisfy in the way that we hope that it will. We're going to look at that for a moment. We end up getting to the end of the road, and we don't get more satisfaction. We actually get less. And maybe you've experienced that in a profound way in your life. You get to the end of the road, hoping that love would be this good feeling. When it's not, it disappoints us. It leaves us empty and dry. There must be more to love than this, right? There is. And we see it right here in 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to jump right into it. We see love being four different things in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is lowly, love is free, love is true, and love is strong. First, love is lowly. Paul says, love does not boast and it is not arrogant. That is the baseline for love. When love is a feeling, love is about me. It's about the way that you feel about me, the way that I feel about you, the way that you, I feel about what you do for me or what you don't do for me, and likewise, what I do for you. And it naturally draws people into orbit around me. 
And that's how our souls naturally move. And in our church, it most likely and most often doesn't look like Gaston from the Beauty and the Beast who masquerades around singing about how strong he is and all his accomplishments. Oftentimes, our pride manifests itself in subtle ways, in hidden ways. Like when I walk into a social situation and I immediately find the person that's going to be the most pleasant to be around, the person that I know, the person that I have common interests with. And I stay away from the person that might be a little awkward, socially anxious, the person that I don't know. We're in a conversation when as somebody's talking, all I'm thinking about is what I think about what they're talking about and what I want to say. In pride, I am the most important person in the room. But Paul is saying that love is humble. Lowliness is not only freedom from uh, being about me, it's, it's freedom from self-concern. It doesn't concern itself with itself. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's self-forgetful. It doesn't draw attention to itself. It doesn't circle the conversation back around to what I've experienced about what I've done, what I think about things. It's lowly. And C.S. Lewis says this beautiful quote that many of us have probably heard. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, meaning putting yourself down looking at the floor and feeling sorry about how terrible of a person you are, beating yourself up, it's thinking of yourself less. It's selfless. That's what humility is, really, in how we understand it. And yet I think that C.S. Lewis, God forbid, C.S. Lewis only gets half of the coin. I think he does. Lowliness is not just freedom from self-concern. It's not just selflessness. It's self-giving. It's focused on others. You are the most important person in the room, is the cry of love. It gazes upon others without curving back in on itself. Humble love is transfixed on others and eager to honor them above itself. And when everyone loves like that, everyone's built up and everyone knows their own worth, everybody knows their value to the other people in the room, And it brings communities closer rather than separating them. Love is lowly. Love is also free. We live in an I love if world. We love, but as long as my life goes the way I want it to, and you do what I want you to do, that you make me happy. For example, I have experienced days where life does not go the way that I want it to go. Maybe a little bit like Benjamin talked about, where the dreaded feeling like your Microsoft Word work has suddenly vanished into thin air. But it's like when on Saturday you haven't finished your sermon yet, like yesterday. And you're sitting there, you can't figure out what to say and how to say it. And then you leave the church, and you get really close to them, and you realize that I forgot to go to the store. And get what I needed to get. And then after you leave the store, you forget the deli meat at the counter where you paid for it. And then you get closer to your house in the city and a homeless man cuts you off in the middle of the road. Ah! Then you get to your parking lot and there's no parking spot. Then you get out of your parking uh, spot, out of your car, and all of a sudden you realize you forgot your keys and you locked yourself out of your apartment. (laughs) Hypothetical, right? We get irritable. We get, we get frustrated. 
We get rude. I walk into our apartment and I'm rude to my wife. I'm irritable. When life doesn't go my way, it's hard. When I encounter my weaknesses, my limitations, I forget things. Things don't go my way. This poor man that doesn't have anything gets in front of my way and I take it out on him because life is about me. Love is free. It's not irritable or rude. It's also not resentful. It doesn't stop when sin enters the room. And resentment comes when we store up hostility toward other people who have wronged us. Other translations say, love does not keep a record of wrong. And it's easy for us to do that. And I know generally you're not on your phone with a note on your phone listing off records of what other people have done to you. Maybe you are doing that and you need to hear what we have to say here. But oftentimes... It's in the hidden recesses of our hearts that we craft these records of wrong. So often, it's not even on our minds. Maybe it goes like this. You interrupted me when I was talking. You snapped at me. You ignored me. You said you'd do this for me the other day, but you never did. You always bring your work home with you, and you never make time for our kids or for me. You were talking behind my back to that person the other day. You're irritable with me. You're rude with me. You don't reach out to me, and I'm, I'm always the one that's initiating in our friendship. And when we keep a record of wrongs, our love becomes stingy. We pull back, sometimes overtly and more often than not, covertly. We just stop texting and calling. We get short with people. And as resentment builds, we put others down in our hearts and are eager then to see more of the wrong, to add to our list and our record of wrongs. It's like a snowball that only grows with time unless something happens. And in the end, it, our bonds break and we end up isolated and alone. Paul says that love is not rude or irritable or resentful, but kind. We have a hard time with that word kind. We often see kindness, like our culture, as a feeling. It's simply putting a smile on our face when we feel bad about someone. But kindness is not niceness. It's not just pleasant. It isn't superficial. It isn't a blanket of pleasantries over a smoldering volcano. It is the result of lowly love that isn't concerned with being wounded by other people because it's full of love and life. And it walks in forgiveness and mercy even when it's hard. And that free love melts the heart of both the giver and the receiver. And in so doing, it brings people together. Love is lowly. Love is free. Love is also true. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And just to be honest, we have a love-hate relationship with the truth. We so easily want the truth when it is in our favor and when it makes us feel good, but we resist it when it makes us uncomfortable and shows sometimes some things that are ugly within ourselves. We hold fast to truths about God from the Bible that soothe us, but the hard ones we have a hard time trusting in. And that doesn't just mean that God is just and that's hard to believe. God is holy. That's hard. to believe. Sometimes God's grace is the one that we don't want to believe. We also like to see parts of our own hearts that are doing just fine, and we cover up the parts that may not look the best. 
that may bring forth our need and in so doing bring shame upon us. And when we live like this, it's easy to put our feelings over the truth. We follow our desires rather than the truth. And I remember at one uh, of my high school dances, I think it was a homecoming dance, one of the songs that everybody wanted to dance with was the techno remix of 1988's Listen to Your Heart. It was awesome. Got really intense. Everybody loved dancing to it. And yet that song proposes a really dangerous posture to love, to life. When the guiding light of my life is the desires of my heart, I will inevitably get lost along the way. And in that, we need truth from outside of our hearts to lead us. And it's good for us, but it's hard for us in relationships. Truth is hard to receive and it's hard to give. We often shy away from saying what is true because of what it might cost us. Even though when we know it is the good and right thing to do. A well-known pastor once wrote, love without truth is sentimentality. Which again, it's romantic. It's the way our culture sees love. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. We need to be loved with the truth. We need the word of God and the perspective of our brothers and sisters to show us what is true about us and what's true about the Lord. We need a mirror that will show us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And according to Paul, this kind of love can never be offered without the rest of his definition. The same pastor says truth without love is harshness. It gives us information about ourselves, but in such a way that we can't really hear it. Speaking the truth in love is only effective when joined with the kindness and lowliness of love that also grounds us in the truth. When truth is spoken in love, we grow and we enter into reality, the reality of our wrong, the reality of the righteousness of the Lord in such a way that opens us up to the reality of God's grace and the kindness that he gives to us. Love is true. Love is strong as well. Lowly, free, true, and strong. When love is about me, when love is about my feelings, it lacks commitment. It's unfettered. When the going gets tough, rather than the tough get going, we walk away. When I get into a conflict with a friend and it's hard, I want to give up. Maybe your spouse has hobbies and and puts them before your marriage relationship or your family. Maybe your child is acting out in a way that's really, really hurtful or difficult. Maybe your friend is experiencing a level of difficulty that drains you when you're with them. And it's so hard to keep going when love is that uphill battle, when rather than the downhill on the bike, you're hitting that uphill and it's hard. It's also strong when we experience suffering, when we are depressed and anxious, without a job, disappointed about our unfulfilled dreams, when we lose a loved one, love keeps going because it's strong. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. He says it's patient. But we so often think about patience, again, as a feeling. Patience is not a feeling. We think it just means feeling good when we're not getting what we want. 
It's an act of the will that perseveres and bears with the sin and suffering of others and our own. And in that, we see that love is strong. It's fierce. It's disciplined. It's intentional. It's able to obey even when the desires of my heart are in competition with what is right. And the strength of love is not for itself. It's discipline. is not so that I can boast in the fact that I'm strong, like Gaston from The Beauty and the Beast. Love holds on for the good of the other person, that they would be lifted up, that they would know that they're worth sacrificing for. Love is committed to pursuing the very best of others, even in darkness. Love is lowly, love is free, love is true, and love is strong. And if you're like me, you hear all of that, and you're like, come on, Dave. Come on, Paul. That is a ridiculously high standard. Nobody can love like that. And no one can love like that. I would say you're right, and yet I'd also say you're wrong. We could never achieve such a lofty love. Absolutely. We continually fall short. We walk in pride. We walk in conditional love. We're timid about the truth. We so easily let go of loving when it gets hard. And if we read this passage in an honest way, we often feel like the law of love is not this beautiful thing, but is often much more like a burden, a ball and chain around our, ankle, our ankles that weighs us down. And it does. We fall short of the law of love. We can't love this, but there is one who can. Even more, there is one who has and who will. You'll notice that in the way in which Paul wrote this, love is personified. This passage is, yes, a gut check to our skewed understandings of love, our lack of love, but it is even more a declaration of the one who is love itself, namely Jesus Christ. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things, and he endures all things, and he never ends. Jesus is lowly. He radiates self-giving love. He gives his whole self to us without any self-concern. He's more concerned for his people, for you and for me, more than himself. Could it be that he abides in what Paul calls us to in Philippians 2 and considers his people as more important, of more worth than he is? Could it be Jesus is kind and not resentful. He doesn't keep a record of wrong. He does not deal with you according to your sin. It's unfathomable because we, we operate in that way so often. He doesn't look down on you smugly because of the lustful thought you had the other day or your lack of prayer in your life right now. He doesn't deal with you according to your sin. But you can bet on it that he's going to be honest with you. He's true. 
Jesus tells us the truth even when it hurts, and he does so to protect us from wrong and the consequences of it, which are only destruction and loneliness and grief and shame. He stands in our way and says no as we walk down a path of destruction. And he does so with gentleness. He's strong. He's steadfast. He sets his heart upon his people. He sets his face like flint upon us. And he's chosen us before the foundation of the world, we read in Ephesians 1. And if he chose you then, then he chose you knowing all of the sin that you would ever commit past, present, future. And if that's true, he's not surprised by our disobedience to his law of love. He chose us before we transgressed it. He doesn't throw his hands up in befuddled despair at how much of a sinner we are. And he does not regret choosing you and his people. How could he? One person once told me he'd have to un-God himself to do so. And he's holding on to you in your suffering, and it's never letting go. Not because you're good and you're enough, but because he is. He bears all things with you. He's patient enough to wait with you as you work out with fear and trembling your salvation. And he shows us the epitome of this steadfast love and convinces us of this steadfast love when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's looking upon the cross. He's seeing the cup that he's supposed to drink and he says, Father, I don't want to drink it. It's going to be too much for me. Is there another way? Let this cup pass me. And yet he says, but not my will but yours be done. He laid down his desires and his will for the sake of love for us, obedience to his father, and the real joy and pleasure that was promised on the other side of it. He bore the weight of our lack of love, even more our enmity with him upon the cross. He took upon himself all of our failure, all of our fickleness, all of our resentment, our passivity, our laziness, our records of wrong, our, our lusts of the flesh and the way we indulge them, our dishonesty, our cowardice, and he laid them in the grave and he left them there. For he rose from the grave and triumphed over sin and death and is risen and reigning right now. He is our king of love. And he dwells within us and he has made us right before God forever. Adopted us in the family of God. You are in and he is not casting you out. No matter how far you fall short of this law of love. Because he is abiding by that law of love toward you. And how could it be that Paul cries out at the end of this passage? Right now we see in a mirror dimly lit. But there will be a time when we will see face to face. We will look upon love and gaze into his eyes. And his gaze will radiate all the way through us. And burn up all of our pride, all of our stinginess, all of our falsehood, all of our weakness. And he will make us just like himself. And that feels good. 
True love feels good when we don't just pursue pleasure and we actually are willing to pursue love that may cause pain, we find real pleasure and real satisfaction. And that is the one that is at the center of our church. He is the capital L love that we long for, that we hope in, that we latch our hearts to. And we know that it's different than the high priest that had a rope around his ankle when he went into the Holy of Holies so that they could pull him out if he was smited down by the Lord. Now we know that our anchor is latched into the Holy of Holies and when we're rolling around in life, when we're falling apart, we know that our anchor is holding fast to him. We are safe. So when we gather in our community groups, when we fellowship around food out in the front yard, He is the one that we fellowship around. He is the love that is abiding in us, that is radiating through us, changing us. And we fight to believe that this is our Christ. And as we do so, our church is going to be beautified by it. And his glory will radiate through us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that this is who you are. And that you have told us that this is who you are. That you have proven, not just with your words, but with your actions, that this is who you are. And so we look to you, we lift you up, we glorify you, we love you, Lord, we adore you. We are in love with you, and we can't help it as we look upon you. And we thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen.